We continue the story of going from tragedy to triumph today. Welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, who called us to live to a higher standard every day. To not be satisfied with throwing a little religion into life as a shallow substitute for giving God our best. As this series continues in the coming weeks, we hear from family, friends, and others. They were influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Maybe you've heard many times about the five missionaries who were killed by the Alca Indians in Ecuador. In this series, we've been hearing from the four wives. We heard from Barbara Udarian and Marilou McCauley last time. Today, it's Marge St. Vanderpoy and Olive Fleming Liefeld. Also joining us is a friend of Elizabeth, a writer who uh, traveled to Ecuador and had knowledge of all the missionary wives, Della Healy. Adela, our first guest today is Marge St. Vanderpoy. Marge was spectacular. She, uh, they used to call her the little general. She just kept everybody in line, lovingly in line, and uh, always knew what was happening and uh, was very wise. She was very wise. We were friends for, I guess, 20 years, something like that anyway, because she used to speak around to and so wherever she was, I went, because uh, she was a wonderful speaker. Marge didn't write anything, as far as I can remember. But uh, she was always promoting Elizabeth's books. She just had so much information, of course, although she spoke maybe 10 minutes or whatever at a meeting. But then when you had Q&A and everybody was able to ask the questions, about what the Alcas or the Wadarani were like and, you know, all the piercing uh, questions. That was writer Della Healy. Well, let's hear Gateway to Joy 189 and hear from Elizabeth and Marge St. Vanderpool. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says, and underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot talking today with a very special friend, Marge St. Vanderpoy. Welcome. And Marge, I think back to August of 1952, when I made my first trip to the eastern jungle of Ecuador with some older missionaries named Dr. And Mrs. Tidmarsh. And we stayed in your wonderful house there and met you and your husband, Nate. Now, could you tell us what in the world you were doing in a place like that? That place that you're speaking of was on the edge of the Ecuadorian jungle in a little town called Chalmera that was named for the man who wrote the national anthem of Ecuador, Juan Leon Mera, and for the Shell Oil Company. And by putting those two together, we got Chalmera. And that's where Mission Aviation had decided to set up their base because the Shell Oil Company had a huge airfield there and would allow us to use it, and we could rent a plot of land for our base for a dollar a year. So we had gone there to make a lifeline for jungle missionaries, and you were to be one of those jungle missionaries in the Tidmarshes. Yes, and I remember Nate as a college student. I hadn't met you till I went to Shelmeta that time in 1952, but when I was at Wheaton College between 44 and 48, I remember Nate slightly because I knew who the saints were. 
the Saint family was very well known in the Philadelphia area, and I remember when I was growing up that Nate's older sister, Rachel, was directing the dining hall at Keswick Conference in New Jersey. So I can just remember him as uh, what I thought of as an earnest student. I don't think I ever had a conversation with him, but how would you characterize Nate? Oh, my. I can remember my first impression of him came through letters that a mutual friend invited me to read, and Nate was in the Air Force, and this friend and I were in nursing together, and she said, why don't you come down to my room and read some letters that my mother has just sent me from a family friend, and those letters were from Nate, and I read them, and there were some pictures, and I thought, I've gone out with other boys, young men, but never have I known one that was so committed to putting the Lord first in his life and to serving the Lord and being committed to him. I can't wait to meet this young man. Well, as the years went on, I realized that that first impression was very true of Nate. And I think of the story um, that his father tells that when Nate was a little boy, his father was making stained glass windows for the National Cathedral in Washington. And he went around the neighborhood looking for a little boy that could be his model for the boy with the five loaves and two fishes, who was willing to give Jesus everything that he had. And he looked around the community and came back home empty-handed. And he said to his wife, why did I look? When right here in our home, we have a little boy that would be my model, and that was Nate. So even at an early age, I think his parents saw that commitment and dedication in his life. And then he went through a severe illness with osteomyelitis, which drew him even closer to the Lord. And that's the way I think of him on the spiritual side. As far as a husband, I think of him as a a very loving husband, very kind to me. I remember only one time that he ever spoke harshly with me, and that was when we were caught in bad weather in a little airplane uh, here in the United States. And I pled with him to turn around and go back, and he said, don't you ever tell me how to fly this airplane. And that's the only time I remember. As far as a father, uh, he really loved his kids, and I think that when he was gone, that was the one overwhelming feature of his death was now this influence that my children so much need is gone. And then, Elizabeth, I remember when you and Jim were in our home, and after a meal, you said to me, how could you sit there and not just shake with laughter? Because you loved Nate's sense of humor, and I I loved it too. But I may have heard some of those things before. Maybe a few times. (laughs) And so I didn't laugh holding my sides like you did. But he had a terrific sense of humor, not in telling jokes, but just in turning a phrase um, or reminding people of something that was humorous. I remember his tenderness, too, Marge. As you recall, my baby Valerie was born in your house just a month after your baby, Philip. And uh, we were sitting at the dinner table maybe the next day or so, might even have been the same day, but um, Valerie was crying. And Nate said, isn't it a good thing that the Lord made a baby's cry absolutely unbearable for us human beings? If he hadn't done that, the human race would never have survived. 
Well, I couldn't have agreed more. I mean, it is the most irritating sound in the world to the parents. It's bad enough to anybody else, but parents can't stand it. And the next day he came to me and he said, Betty, he said, I've got an apology to make to you. And I couldn't imagine what, he, what was coming. He said, you know, I hope I didn't hurt your feelings by what I said about that baby's cry. Well, that had never crossed my mind, but he was so sensitive. He just wanted to be sure that I didn't think that he was furious at having to have a crying baby in his house. Well, we could go on and on. He was a, a wonderful guy, just a wonderful guy. He served how many stations, Marge? I think about um, 13 or 14 to a number of different tribes, right? Yes, uh-huh. they would be to different tribes. And then in addition to that, he did flying um, to keep our status with the Ecuadorian government. He would often land at an army outpost, but we, we didn't really count those because we didn't serve them regularly. Mm-hmm. Well, Marge was always on the radio. We could hear her cheerful voice every morning. And there was one day when Nate came in to our station, Shandia, where, we were, where Jim and I were working with the Quechua Indians, to tell us that he had discovered the whereabouts of a tribe called Aucas, A-U-C-A, people that were greatly feared, Stone Age people. We knew next to nothing about them, except that they were Stone Age, they wore no clothes, and they killed strangers. And Nate had a vision. What was it? To reach those people with the gospel. And he believed that the Lord had um, given us a tool, the little mission airplane that would make it possible for us to locate where those people were living. We knew the general area, but no one knew exactly where they lived, and they were a bit nomadic. But that, as you say, it was a wonderful day when Nate and Ed McCulley and two Quechua Indians flying over that area located those Alka houses. And so began something called Operation Alka. Many of our listeners know the story that all five of these men were speared to death. What was your response to Nate's death? Elizabeth, I had been in on the um, many of the planning sessions of the five men before they went to the Alkas. And it was just a great thing to see how the Lord led them step by step by step. And I've thought many times that I guess in my heart when I knew they were missing, I thought, this is the next step. Now, where is the Lord going to lead us from here? And I could believe God that this was part of his plan. The thing I couldn't quite believe him for was how could I raise three children without Nate. But you did. I wish we had more time, but what has happened since then, Marge? Well, I was a widow for ten and a half years with many people praying for you and the other three and myself and our children, and I think God answered those prayers, and they were happy and good years, and I thought of myself as, happily thought of myself as Nate's widow, and never wanted to remarry at least until my children were all raised, and then a widower um, that had been a family friend came into my life, Abe Vanderpoy, and he had three children, and we joined our families together, and now it's a great joy, and with Thanksgiving, we say to the Lord, thank you that all of those children are following you. 
Thank you so much, Marge. My guest today was Marge St. Vanderpoy. Her husband, Nate, was one of the five missionaries killed in Ecuador in 1956. It's amazing to think of the sovereignty of God and the ways in which he has turned what seemed a disaster into tremendous, unmeasured blessing. I think all five of us meet people almost literally everywhere we go that tell us that the story of these men has changed their lives. Thanks again, Marge. From Tragedy to Triumph, number three, Marge St. Vanderpoy, our guest today, along with Elizabeth, talking about those days before and after the death of her husband. Well, next we'll hear from Olive Fleming Liefeld, and Della Healy will join us once again to tell us a little bit more about Olive. But first, Gateway to Joy 190, From Tragedy to Triumph, Part 4. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliott, talking today with my guest, Olive Fleming Liefeld. Olive, you've written a book. Tell us about that book. It is called Unfolding Destinies, the story of Peter Fleming and Operation Alka. Pete was one of the last ones to come in to um, the Operation Alka, even though he had gone to Ecuador in the first place, intending to reach the Alcas. And uh, he had written a diary, and I had kept this diary for many years, and you, Betty, had kept saying, when are you going to do something with the diary? And it it was hard uh, for me to even think of using the diary, but I did, trying to give some background, and I learned a lot of things through his diary about his love for me that he didn't express in letters. You sure would have been glad to have a little bit of that on paper in the letters, right? That's right. At the time, you are now married to Dr. Walter Liefeld of Trinity Seminary, and didn't you and Walt make a visit to Ecuador just before you wrote this book? No, it was after. Actually, I had finished writing. Oh, oh was that right? And uh, we had an opportunity of going to Colombia, and I said, if I'm going to Colombia, I must go to Ecuador and get down to the jungles. And uh, so all the arrangements were made through Rachel, and uh, we took our daughter, our youngest daughter, down. This was quite an experience to go from the north shore of Chicago to a very primitive situation. But it, I was excited. I was looking forward to seeing these people. I had already met Kimo and Comey years ago when they were here in the United States. Who were they? Well, Kimo was one of the killers. He probably was quite young at the time he killed the five men. And uh, Comey is the son of Kita, who was the, um, well, the head. Sort of the leader of the, leader the killers. Of the, <laughs> of the group. Yes, we're talking about the Auca tribe, A-U-C-A, the Auca Indians of Ecuador, who killed five missionaries, one of whom was Pete Fleming, my guest's husband. Now, let's go back a little bit, and I'd like to know your background, Olive. Where are you from, and where did you meet Pete? Pete and I grew up together in the same church out in Seattle. We had known each other uh, from the time we were very little. Our parents were very good friends. And uh, it wasn't until I was about 17 that Pete and I started um, dating. He was, I think, a little more interested in me at the time. I was uh, too young to think about um, marriage or anything like that. But we, uh, as the years went by, we grew together. Uh, We believed that God had 
brought us together, and Pete wanted to serve the Lord in a teaching ministry, either um, in the university or in, and also in a church ministry. And Pete had a master's degree, right? In yes, he literature. had just gotten his master's degree in American literature, and that's what he had hoped to teach. So how in the world did he end up in the jungle of South America? He had been getting letters from Jim. He knew Jim was coming, and they had planned to meet together. Uh, this is Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott. my husband. And uh, they, Jim came on a Sunday to Seattle, and about a month later, Pete told me of his conversation with Jim that Sunday and of his decision to go to Ecuador. What in the world had Jim said? I'm not all sure, except that Jim had told Pete that uh, he was looking for another single fellow to go with him. He just had lost two of his friends to marriage. And so Pete told me all of this about these uh, two that had gotten married. And uh, there was nothing to keep him at home. He felt that this was the answer that, uh, to his own searching as to where God would have him. And he didn't see it as something that maybe a long term uh, he believed that someday God would put him into teaching, but he believed that he needed to prepare himself, as Timothy did, in a, doing evangelism before he even went well, out and teach. I certainly know that Jim Elliott had uh, what he would—he himself, I guess, would have called a sledgehammer personality. He accused me of being a sledgehammer type, but he did have a way of going around on the college campus and grabbing guys by the arm and saying, hey, mm -hmm. buddy, how come you're not going to the mission field? And if they stuttered and stumbled around and said, well, I don't know, I just don't really feel called, he would say, well, buddy, you don't need a call, you need a kick in the pants. Mm -hmm. And I think he really administered a sort of a kick in the pants to both Ed McCulley, whom mm -hmm. you you've also heard about this week, and to his good buddy, Pete Fleming. But as you say, when Ed disappointed him by getting married and another friend had disappointed him by getting married, he thought, well, here's a guy mm -hmm. who's still single, maybe I can persuade him to go with me to Ecuador. Is that more or less Yes, I think that accurate. was it. And, and also that Pete had so much learning, he had so much gift. Uh, why was he going on to seminary? Uh, he already had more than uh, he needed to tell these people. Well, how did you yourself come to terms with being the wife of a missionary when you, I suppose, at one time had hopes of being the wife of a university professor? Well, it was the fact that Pete had uh, told me it was over between us and that he was going out single and that he could not hold me to any uh, commitment that was so hard on me. It was very devastating. And uh, and at that point, he said, we're not even going to write letters. It is over. Uh, it being, was that an engagement? Was it? No, it was, a, we had a commitment. He was going, we knew he was going to be going away to Fuller, either Fuller or perhaps the service. And I knew he was going to be gone, and we had planned that we would be married in three years. Well, so you must have been perhaps more than a little bit upset with this guy, Jim Elliott, were you? I was very upset with Jim Elliott, <laughs> and it took me a long time to get over that. And I, every time that, well, you and Jim, when you and Jim got engaged, then I thought, oh, Probably now Pete will think about it. And that's just exactly what happened. And then when you got married, I thought, oh, well, now now it's going to be my turn. And that's exactly what happened. It did happen. 
Well, we could look back on all these things and try to figure them out, but it's a wonderful thing to know that the Lord is sovereign. He's in charge. So you and Pete, uh, Pete had been working in the jungle, single with Jim in a place called Shandia. Then you got married and he brought, well, he went back to the States and married you, right? And then brought you back to Quito. And what did you do there? We were there almost nine months as I was learning the language. And at that time, um, during that time, I had two miscarriages, and I had I seemed to be more sick than I was well. And, and Pete, you had all sorts of jungle missionaries like the Macaulays and the Elliots landing on you every now and then. Yes, and they're important guests. parents. Oh, they're important <laughs> parents. Oh, and I had never had... I never had run a home in the United States, so it was quite an experience, especially to have an Indian who didn't speak very much in, um, much um, Spanish to help me in the home. And you didn't speak very much Quechua, I'm sure. None. <laughs> so it was a, a, a rugged first year. Yes. And you went then from Quito to? To the jungles, and the first thing we did... We went to a uh, Quechua conference. Jim and Pete were in charge of that Quechua conference. And it was at that time that Ed and Nate were flying over the jungles and found the Alcas. Oh, really? I'd forgotten about that mm-hmm. juxtaposition. So you you went to a little place mm-hmm. called Puyupungu. Is After that, right? that, yes. A place that Jim and I had been in for a short time. And can you tell us how or why Pete decided to join Operation Alca? Well, all the time we were there, he felt, in Puyupungo, he felt cut off, not knowing what was going on, except for Nate. Every week, Nate would come in, and he'd give us the news uh, when he'd fly in, tell us what was going on, and he flew Roger in. And so these three men um, worked over plans and read as much as they could about different other different groups trying to get into tribes. And Pete just felt that Roger was far more capable than he was. Um, Pete always felt that he wasn't really this jungle uh, type. Pioneer type. Right. So he had some uh, misgivings about that, but he also was very concerned about me, having brought me down to the jungles, and I had just had the second miscarriage. And so he was concerned, and now he had to make a decision. But it ra- it was fu- the final time was at McCulley's house when... Nate spoke up for Pete going, and it was Ed, or not Ed, but it was Jim, your husband, that had said that uh, he he thought that it was uh, putting all three Quechua speakers in that situation, it would be very uh, difficult if they were all killed. Yes, well, of course, they all were killed. All three of the male missionaries in Ecuador that spoke Quechua at that time mm-hmm. were all killed. There was mm-hmm. Dr. Tidmarsh, but he was not in Ecuador at the time. So we were sort of left holding the bag, weren't we? But God knows all about that, and we have so little time left. Olive, just bring us up to date quickly on where you are now. I have been married to Walter Liefeld for 32 years. He's a professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and uh, we've had a ministry among the students there, and we're just looking now to the future as to what the Lord has for us next. Two miscarriages when you were married to Pete, but you have how many children now? I have now? three children now. Well, thank you so much, Olive. My guest today was Olive Fleming Leifeld, 
whose husband was one of the five men killed in Ecuador in 1956. Thank you so much, Olive, for being with us. It's great to be with you. Elizabeth Elliot and Olive Fleming Liefeld, Gateway to Joy 190. Della Healy spent a lot of time working on material related to Elizabeth and her experiences over the years. She was a friend of Elizabeth who traveled to Ecuador. And Della, what can you add? Uh, we've heard from Olive. What else can you tell us about Olive Fleming Liefeld? That's Olive Fleming, and we're still friends. She's in Wheaton. I think she's 91 now. But we've been friends over the years and corresponded, and uh, you might be interested in, uh, in picking up the book that she wrote from Pete's Diaries. It's a wonderful book. And, uh, you know, sometimes when books are published, they'll get buried because there's something else going on, you know? Just a spectacular book. Uh, I have to say, because she gleaned everything from his diaries. He was very frank. You know, there's a couple of books that Elizabeth had written that really uh, uh, annoyed people because she was so forthright and so honest, there's no other word, about situations and, and missionaries' conditions and, and so on. But this was the same, I always felt, with Pete's book, because he said in his diary what his heart was dictating to him. And so he was very honest, too. That was Della Healy sharing with us today. Well, it's as though our time has come to an end, or just about come to an end. So thanks for letting us join you today. Maybe you've been out getting some exercise, or maybe we found you in your home or in your office. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, thanks for uh, joining us today. And let me invite you to check out elizabethelliot.org. elizabethelliot.org for more lectures, talks, devotionals, and videos. ElizabethElliot.org. And don't forget to leave a podcast review. Kalar Tripp tells us, I consider Elizabeth my spiritual mother, and she has literally helped change my life and shape my walk with Christ. I am beyond thankful for this podcast and for the Elliot family for sharing a little bit of Elizabeth with the world. Well, thank you for those kind words. And until next time, as we wrap up the series next week, from now until then, may God remind you daily that you're loved with an everlasting love, and underneath are the everlasting arms. <laughs>